Welcome to Trowadron Legends and Lore. Episode 26, Arrow Tripton. Well, hello and welcome to episode 26 of Trowadron Legends and Lore. I'm Chad Corey. And again, I want to be up front here and let you know about a couple things before we get into that stuff today. I wanted to share that you can go to the website trowadron.com and there you'll be able to find additional information about what we're talking about today. As I've been saying in the past episode, and I guess in generally on other uh, platforms, social media and such, you can find a whole host of information that will be ever-expanding, I say. By that I mean I add to it periodically, usually at least once a month, and expand and explore different aspects of what is covered there. And we talk about the landmasses, pantheon, history, the races, and all different other stuff that we'll be adding and continue to explore for the world settings. Also a glossary there if you're interested in learning more about who these things or people are. You can take advantage of that. Again, that's T-R-A. L-O-D-R-E-N dot com. And you can also send me an email if you'd like to do so at lore, that's L-O-R-E, at Chad Corey, that's C-H-A-D-C-O-R-R-I-E dot com. And you can share more information about if you have any questions about what was being shared in this podcast or in this series or the whole thing in general. Or if you have some commentary things you wanted to share. I'm also interested if you're able to pass on where you're getting access to this podcast, kind of how you're finding it, where you're located, if you feel comfortable sharing that. Just like to kind of see where it's reaching, who it's getting to, and kind of who the particular audience is for it in general. I know it's being listened to. I know it continually gets more people uh, listening or checking in, if you will. That's great. That's wonderful. I really appreciate that. I just like to know a little bit more, I guess, concrete information or substantial information about who these people actually are, who you guys are and what you're getting out of it and what benefit you might be um, taking away from it. So if you're able to share that, that'd be greatly beneficial. I'd really appreciate that. All right, moving on to what's going on today on this particular episode. We're going to get into the race gods. We are closing down part of the Pantheon now for Trollodon and getting into what has not maybe been explored necessarily in some of the books thus far and publications we've gotten into. And that is talking more about the aftermath of the Imperial Wars and what generated the creation and then installation of the race gods in general. So a little bit of backstory real quick here, make it as uh, concise as possible. There was a series of time on Trollodon, probably around the end, not probably, exactly around the end of the Shadow Years, that was called the Imperial Wars. And there were, if you want to think of them in terms of like a world war type of thing, that probably would be pretty accurate. But you had these various empires of the origin cities that got together, and a few other things too, that got together and had these protracted big battles, not just on one land or continent, but on multiple uh, fronts, land masses, continents, so on and so forth, as they strive for more territory and control and in some cases to hinder the advancement of the other, or in the other cases to dominate the other individuals and countries and nations around them. And this produced a, like we said, called the Imperial Wars, because they were for imperial power. And we talk a lot about that in the history. I'm not going to get into that yet, although we will. I'm looking forward to sharing that in future episodes. It's kind of a very big and rich and uh, fun concept and aspect of the world setting that laid the groundwork for a lot of what is going on in the modern day. 
but we kind of what I kind of do is to focus mainly on the origin cities, although there are other components and elements to it. But for our purposes today, there were three major groups that were tied into that that got pulled into something larger into a divine scope of things, and that would be the elves, the humans, and the dwarves. And one of the major leaders of the elven race at that time was an elf named Arrow. He had a brother named Cliseth, and they were fighting um, independently before the Imperial Wars, but it was more of an internal schism, division division type of thing. Cliseth went off to Rexatoius and founded the Republic of Rexatoius because of it, but Arrow was dead set on being... um, I guess you can say dictator for life or, or emperor supreme of Colonia and the areas around that. And he kind of more or less, again, this is really a simplification because there's a lot of elements going on, but he more or less was the major driving focus or uh, force of the Imperial Wars as far as the establishment of the stressors and things that produce the, the conflict. And he went off and caused these wars and fought and did this kind of stuff and along with uh the humans and stuff in Gondad and, and the doors in Drulandia, and they were doing what they could, like I said, to either stop or hinder or advance their own causes. And when it was all said and done, you had a bunch of fallen uh, empires, fallen origin cities, a bunch of death and destruction, and then people had to kind of work their way out of the mess that was the aftermath of those massive battles. And the gods looked down on this and said, man, this is really messed up. They need some help, and we want to contribute toward that end by raising up some people that can benefit and teach the various races how to improve, how to develop, and how to become better than what they were previously and get them away from this, you know, warfare type of stuff and universal massive, you know, battles and stuff and get them into more of a developed higher level of society and a better life in general. That was the goal. (laughs) That was the idea. It might not have been implemented, um, the best, shall we say, initially, because what they chose to do is they wanted to find people that were, I guess, more or less respected or had the potential of leading on a larger scale. And oddly enough, they chose Arrow for the god of the elven race, which was kind of strange when you think about it, because this is the individual, like I just said, that was kind of instrumental in causing all those problems in the first place. But the idea, again, I'm kind of condensing and paraphrasing and shortening stuff up here, but the idea was in some quarters of the, the Divine Council that this would be a way he could kind of atone and, and make up for his errors and problems by being a better example and improving things that he basically helped destroy. So given the fact that before Arrow rose to godhood, he had a kind of a god complex anyway, and it didn't really necessarily help by actually giving him godhood to complete his godhood complex. So, again, it was kind of a questionable issue raising him up to godhood, but it was done, and it has been done, and he's been there for several centuries now, and actually it's not done too poor of a job in general. But Arrow took on the name Arrow Tripton, combining his first and last name into kind of a longer monkeyer, but he still goes by Arrow by most people, or Tripton, or, or things like that. But he's one of one of three race gods. The other three, the other two, excuse me, would be Panthora and Druid. And we'll cover those in, in future episodes. So now we're kind of segueing now into Arrow Tripton. Obviously, he is supposed to be the god of the elven race, but unfortunately, given the bad blood that he stirred up among other uh, parts of his 
ethnic groups there, the various racial groups of, or ethnic groups within the, the elven race. He is not really widely received by anyone outside of the Elelium. Big surprise since he put most of his initial effort with the Elelium to begin with. So the, the Patriots are not big fans. Um, the Savani are not necessarily big fans and even know it exists at this point. And the Aquadians that are under the, the waves, again, don't really know he exists, don't really want to have anything to do with him. So he segmented himself to, or segregated himself to a certain population of elves, primarily the Imperial elves of Colony. And even that is not necessarily the most stalwart of worshippers in, in different uh, quadrants of the former empire, shall we say. But needless to say, he is the god of the elven race. And his, some of his titles include First Emperor, Leader of the Elven People, Father of Empire, the Only True Elf, Lord of Colony, the Eternal Elf, and Savior of Remolos, which is the origin city of the elves. And it's one of the only, actually the only origin city that survived to the modern day. His realm is known as Civis, or New Remolos. What happened with the race gods, and again, I talked a little bit about this in previous seasons, so you know, do go back and check that out if you're curious, but in general, each god has their own realm or plane that they have made or claimed as their own. Unfortunately, because these race gods were mortals who were raised to divine godhood, they did not have the ability, they're kind of limited in a lot of ways in what they can do power-wise and such. Their gods were not the most powerful or strongest or most uh, ready-made, shall we say, version of the divine. And so they have a lot of need for assistance on some levels. And part of that was with Aganatar and Othone deciding to section off a portion of their realm in Civis, giving it into the care of the race gods for their own realm where they could provide a means for them to establish a place of rule, but also have a place for the dead that worship these these deities, these race gods, to return and, and live out their afterlife with them is in general. But all of these realms from the race gods exist in Civis. Um, the section card aside for Arrow is called New Remolos. And typically who allies with him is usually like most of the race gods, I think all the race gods, the light gods are going to be pretty well inclined to them. They like them because they're about order and structure and all that kind of stuff, as among other things. And having the race gods do what they do is, is is helpful toward that end. The great gods kind of tolerate them. And even some of the dark gods, most often than not, are, are okay with them. Again, they had to vote to get them up to the place of divinity anyway. So they're not going to necessarily, necessarily be against them. It's, and even the race gods themselves, while they were enemies in life, they are more or less, when they move from being working colleagues to even like allies now in the modern time and are working toward the benefit and the better ends of their own charges. Obviously, Arrow's charge is to be a uniting factor of the elven race and bring all the elves together and bring them up to a higher and greater level of civilization, life, spirituality, you know, every possible aspect of who they are, what they're about, bring them up to that that highest and best level. And he has kind of been doing it once in a while, <laughs> but, but sometimes he gets sidetracked on advocating his previous imperial ambitions and, and things of that nature. But in recent times, he's reached out and decided it's time to kind of move into 
getting more elves on board and, and bringing more people into the greater elven fold. So that's good and that's beneficial. It's only took, you know, it only taken him a few centuries, but he's finally moved into the process where he was elevated to do in the first place. Those that follow Aerotriptan as their god are called Triptonites. And as you would expect, these are basically initially what happened was he he kind of had, I guess, a kind of a god complex before we had people quasi-worshipping him, worshiping him when he was a, an emperor in his mortal life. And so those people made a very easy transition into his present worship. And in fact, a lot of the similar trappings and things that were developed and, and kind of thought out or just allowed when he was immortal became more customary and uh, established in the religion as well. When he took on godhood, he didn't really necessarily change anything as far as how he looked. He The only thing that differentiated him, obviously, is his size, like all the gods are larger than mortals. Uh, Arrow, for his part, is 12 feet tall. He has brown hair, blue eyes. He's fair-skinned. And he looks, like I said, just pretty much like he did in his mortal life, although he he's obviously in his prime. He looks great, strong, healthy. You know, he's, he's a god. He's not going to have any embelli- you know, blemishes or problems or things like that. So he's more or less the idealized form of the Elemic Elf, which he tried to achieve and uh, impl- you know, emulate when he was on the mortal realm. And he basically, when he is perceived as... In, in various forms, he has the benefit, unlike other gods, he was a mortal god. So, I mean, a mortal person, excuse me. So he, he basically, people knew what he looked like. And they already had statues built and they already had pictures and things drawn up. So they, they already knew what, what he looked like. And that wasn't hard to to continue in the worship of his new divine status. So, again, he had he hasn't really changed as far as that respect goes. As to who worships him, as we said, the Triptonites... They hold their sacred body of scripture is called the Imperial Opus. And it's more or less, it's a, like a mixture of a biography of Arrow. It's part history of the Elven Nation, sayings of Arrow, and uh, various things that they think are beneficial to the, to the religion and uh, faith overall. His holy symbol is called the Imperial Star. And it's a four-pointed white star crossed by two arrows. And when you have it on banners or shields or other forms of display, the background is always purple. The arrows are always silver-tipped and purple-fletched. And like most holy symbols, though, when priests wear them as medallion, their medallions are white mother of pearl with inlaid four-pointed star and a silver crossing arrows on the pendant, and they're attached to leather thongs or cloth and dyed a deep purple. And again, those are the the holy medallions or pendants that they wear to, to signify that they are priests, but also sometimes it gives them a, a focus to their faith as well. It's, you know, it's a marking of their part in the overall order. And they obviously follow various holy days and such, um, like most religions do. One of the big ones, of course, is when uh, Arrow is believed to have ascended to godhood, and they hold that very sacred and very special as well. Different sects of the religion, which is kind of, I don't want to say it's very divided. It's not really necessarily. There's like most religions, there's the usual generic faith that a lot of most, I'd say probably the majority is ascribed to. These sects are probably more of a minority than any other sects in the religion, with the exception of probably, uh, you know, the less popular ones. But they have the fraternal fellowship, and that's more of a social political movement. 
of a religious sect, and it's more or less combined into a unity of the Elven race. It's more of a political structure, maybe trying to achieve what Arrow was supposed to do, again, when he was first arisen to divinehood. Um, the Sons of the True Elf is a, another sect that is more or less, again, it's a social-political group, but they use Arrow as their symbol for what is possible for the elven race. And again, it's making the ideal elf. So whereas the Fraternal Fellowship is more, let's get everyone together and work together and be a greater, larger elven race type of thing, the Sons of the True Elf is, yeah, let's get together, but let's breed and produce and achieve the perfect elf. And so they're all into more like what we would say today, like eugenics and things like that, trying to get people in different groups to, to populate and, and reproduce and things in such a way that produces in their mind what they think is the the perfect elf. Then you have the Sisters of Remolos, which is more or less, I guess you can say, patterned along the line of the Vestal Virgins of Rome. And they are a group, obviously, of female elves who have sworn themselves as the the, the virginal uh, priestesses of Eros' remains, shall we say. And they're more or less keepers of the relics and the burial site of Eros' mortal body. And they are, I guess, I don't want to say they're like the sacred wives, because that's not really what they what they do. There's not really a, a sexual or a, a marriage type of element to it, but they've just sworn off, you know, they, they've sworn virginity, chastity, to serve with all their might, you know, arrow and, and keep his name alive and keep, you know, and honor the mortal element of of him, but also, you know, the, the foundations of the faith, kind of kind of being like, the, I guess, part historian, part keeper of truth, if you will, you know, a combination of different things. Again, kind of partly inspired by the Vestal Virgins. So again, his areas of worship are going to be primarily on former uh, imperial lands or elven colonies. Obviously, the biggest place of worship is on Remolos, which is the capital city of Colony. And then you have the various um, colonies or cities or multicultural cities that exist throughout Trollodon, mostly on the coast or trading areas. He might have an inroad or a shrine or things like that, but that's pretty much it. He's not really known, obviously, like, like all race gods. He's not really something that you're going to be able to relate to if you're a human. He's not even going to really give you the time of day if you're human because that's not his charge. It's not his ability. He has no means or ability to help humans. So obviously he has a very specific focus and a very specific agenda. And if you are an elf and if you are into that kind of thing, then he might be your deity of choice or a beneficial patron for whatever you'd like to do in life. And so I think with that, we're going to wrap up this particular episode. Thanks again for listening. I do appreciate that. Continue to check in next month. We'll be exploring more about the remaining two race gods, that being Panthora and Druid. And again, check out chadcory.com and trollerton.com for more information. And you can also follow me online on social media at Creator Chad for more information and things coming out as well. I will be hopefully be able to share some more news about some future projects and things in the near future. So do take advantage of those means and resources to stay abreast of what's going on. And there's even a, a newsletter if that's something more you taste. I don't spam people. I just send out an occasional update or information that might be of interest to you, including you know, upcoming signings, book releases, special deals and uh, sales and things that go on as well. So do take advantage of that if, like I said, that's your preferred means of staying in the loop. 
Otherwise, thank you once again for listening. Have a great rest of your day and month. This podcast is copyright Chad Corey. All rights reserved.